Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. I want to ask today, what is your one thing? What's your one thing? Right? If God came to you and gave you the same wish that he gave to Solomon, what, what would you choose? There was a TV show in the US a few uh, years ago that actually set out to do this. They um, found kind of people who were really struggling and they approached them and said, one wish will give you whatever it is. It lasted one season because, you know, the budget's not going to last that long. But here's God and he's got an unlimited budget and he says to King Solomon, he says, ask me, what should I give you? What is it? What's your one thing? Now, maybe Solomon could have asked for five things, but he chooses just one thing. What's your one thing? What's your one thing? Now, there's no pressure, except that whatever you ask for will pretty much say everything about you and kind of what matters to you before God. And for King Solomon, his one thing actually led to everything. He became the wisest and the wealthiest king, perhaps in the history of the world. His people loved him and the world flocked to him famously in, uh, with the Queen of Sheba in chapter 10. And there's a beautiful um, artwork in the Art Gallery of New South Wales about the Queen of Sheba coming to Solomon with all the grandeur. His kingdom was the widest uh, in the history of Israel, the grandest, the high watermark in the whole of the Old Testament. And this, 1 Kings 3, is where it all begins. Where we see that Solomon is a king whose one thing is wisdom. That's his one thing. Now we're going to read again, so grab your Bibles, please. And 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, we're on page 282 of these church Bibles. Or if you're on your phone Bible, 1 Kings 3, I'm going to read from verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David his father only, he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer... A thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You've shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people?" Now at this point, uh, Solomon is securely on the throne, Uh, his rivals are all gone, and he's got a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. That's a little hint that maybe Solomon loves the security of a big military and alliances, not only that he loves the Lord, although he clearly does that. Verse 3, these words are said only of Solomon in the whole Bible. Solomon loved the Lord. And here in chapter 3, verse 4, he goes to this place called Gibeon and he's loving and worshipping God. He offers a thousand sacrifices and even if you're rich, that's still a lot. And the Lord appears to him with the offer of a lifetime, ask what I shall give you. He says, Lord, the one thing, the one thing I want more than anything is wisdom. 
wisdom to know good and evil, to know right and wrong, to be able to govern your people with justice. His one thing is wisdom because, as Solomon will write later in one of the Proverbs, wisdom is more precious than rubies. Now, Solomon at this point is young and inexperienced, but he knows enough to know that he needs help. He knows that following your heart is not the way to run a kingdom or to run your life. He knew that he needed wisdom from above. He needed a moral compass greater than just himself And so he seeks the wisdom of God. And friends, that's actually the same reason that we're here with the Bible open. Because we refuse to believe the lie that we are wiser than God. That we can go it alone without the wisdom of God. Now, one of the interesting things as we read the Bible, and especially these kind of stories and narrative parts of the Bible, like the Old Testament, is the question is, where do you tend to read yourself in? Right, you're reading the story, do you, like, do you kind of imagine that you're one of the plebs or like King Solomon? I mean, where do you kind of read yourself in, right? Do you read imagining that you're the ruler of the known world? Maybe that's where we kind of read ourselves in. And we need to be careful of that. The beautiful and fascinating thing is that in the New Testament, God actually gives the very same invitation to every single Christian to seek his wisdom. It's all, all for offer. Uh, So James chapter 1, verse 4, this verse is on the screen, says, If any of you, anyone, lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Uh, It literally says, if you lack wisdom, ask the giving God. That's such a beautiful expression, isn't it? The giving God. Um, God's kind of more like... um, the, the grandparents who just spoil the grandchildren, which like way too many gifts, and I know it's frustrating for some of the parents, but God's more like that. He just loves to give and to answer prayers, and especially to give wisdom. And friends, don't we just desperately need the wisdom of God in our lives? I mean, how to handle those difficult colleagues, or to challenge sexism that's around us, or to raise our children, or to genuinely help the poor, not just in a way that makes ourselves feel better, to face climate change, to share Jesus, to answer the difficult questions. To, I mean, how could you truly live for God in this world and not need the wisdom of God? God says when we go to him for wisdom, he loves and delights to answer that prayer. In fact, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Why don't you just bow your heads? Maybe there's something on your mind or heart that you just want to ask for God's wisdom for now. I'm going to give you 30 seconds before we continue. Why don't you bow your heads? You just pray to, pray, pray to yourself. Father, we thank you that you love to give us your wisdom that we need. Amen. When we go to God for wisdom, the giving God delights to answer that prayer. And that's exactly what God does for Solomon. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10. Let's uh, read this next bit. 1 Kings 3, verse 10. It says, um, It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies... But have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. 
I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honour, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Right, Solomon could have asked for long life. He could have asked for victory over his enemies. I think they're, kind of, they're okay things to ask, but he knows that actually the one thing he needs is wisdom, and not just for himself. Because you could ask for wisdom for yourself, right? Just to know that you're always the smartest person in the room. It kind of feels nice, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't ask it for himself, but to be able to serve God's people with justice. And the Lord gives him wisdom beyond compare. Like in the history of the world, past and future, it's saying, it's like before there was Siri, there's Solomon. You know, hey, Solomon, what's the answer? Boom. <laughs> he knew it. And we'll see some of those things next week. Um, and because Solomon's one thing that he wants is wisdom, God says, you know what? I'm actually going to give you everything. The riches and the honour and the fame. So that Solomon becomes the wisest and wealthiest king in history of Israel. Although for the wisest person in history, it turns out Solomon makes a few dumb choices that actually lead to spiritual tragedy. And that's what we're going to see over the next few weeks. And I think here's the thing to learn about that. God's gifts like wisdom, it's not like a one-off download, right? You got it and then it's all taken care of. I think it's more like streaming your favourite TV show, right? You need to keep the connection with God for the wisdom thing to keep working and all the other gifts as well. Now, it might be that some of us are kind of taking a little mental note right now. Say, you say to yourself, right, if, if, if I ever get that genie in the bottle moment with God and God offers me one wish, ask for wisdom and then you get everything else, right? <laughs> Maybe you're thinking that. Except um, you know that God sees through that bit, right? Like that's just not going to work. Although here's the funny, strange and amazing thing is that Jesus is offering you that very deal for you and for me. Matthew 6 verse 33 on the screen, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Now Jesus has just been talking about what you eat and what you drink and what you wear and where you live and he's saying if, if the one thing that you love more than anything is Jesus and God and his kingdom, then you know what? He's going to give you all the rest. Not Ferraris in first class, but friends and food and the fellowship and the things that you need. So here's the deal, right? The way to get the one thing you really want is to make sure the one thing you really want is Jesus. You say, well, that sounds like a bit of a catch. <laughs> but only if you haven't yet seen that actually Jesus is the, the one that you're looking for in all those other things. If, if we haven't yet seen just how good it is to live in God's kingdom under God's king. And that's what 1 Kings 3 and 4 wants to show us next, just how good it is to live in God's kingdom under a wise and good king. So that, that's, uh, that's what happens next in um, 1 Kings chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read, there's this beautiful little story, and uh, we're up to 1 Kings 3 verse 16. So you can read on page, top of page 283. 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 16. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house, only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. 
And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Now, Seinfeld turned this into an incident between two friends, you know, bickering over a vintage bicycle ride. But the real story is a heartbreaking story of these two women with this dispute over a real baby in the days before DNA testing and polygraphs. And each of them kind of comes to Solomon and they've both got a valid case. In fact, um, Proverbs 18 verse 17, um, Solomon observes, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. And so he's sitting there, King Solomon, and there's these two people with their own version of the story and no evidence or other way to kind of check. And so what do you do? And this is one of those stories that you can't unhear once you know the answer. Actually, it's like that riddle. Um, do you know that riddle about um, you, uh, you arrive at a kind of uh, fork in the road and there's two people and one of them always tells the truth and one of them always tells a lie and you don't know which one's which. And you need to ask, you know, find out from them which way to go. Have you heard, hands up if you've heard this riddle. Hands up if you've heard it and remember the answer. All right, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. See if you can work it out for those of you who haven't heard it. So what's the answer to the riddle? It's like the wisdom of Solomon. <laughs> Have you heard this? <laughs> Do you know? All right. Does anyone who's not heard the answer before want to have a go? Em's like, it's just Sunday afternoon and too tired. <laughs> Giselle. Oh, that's, there you go. That's not bad. That's not bad. Imagine it's dark and they don't know the answer. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's an answer to the riddle that you've got to get. Okay, what's the answer? Who remembers? Did you get that? What, what would the other one tell me to, tell me, you know, to go? Because, you know, one of them's always going to... You just go think about it later. Like, later, when you're in bed at 11 o'clock tonight, you'll figure it out, okay? Um, ask the other one which way to go and then do the opposite. Okay, so here's this um, kind of riddle, right, with Solomon, real-life one, and King Solomon tells his guards, uh, and maybe you've got to transport yourself back to the ancient world so that kind of you can imagine it happening. He just goes, well, let's just cut the baby in half. You can have half each. And one woman, agree, one woman agrees and the other one protests because, and says, you know, look, just give it to the other one. And so Solomon has said this because he knows the real mother would never let her baby die, even if it means having to give her baby away. And Solomon, like the bike thing with Seinfeld, says, we'll give it to the other one, right? So in the end, the child saved, justice is done. Solomon is seen to be wise, and the people are glad. In fact, just come and look. Um, you can read the chapter later, but just look at the very last verse of 1 Kings chapter 3. 
1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 28. Oh, I put this on the screen as well. There you go. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Right? Um, it's this beautiful kind of summary, right? Like, how good is it to live in a kingdom with a king who is wise and who is good? And notice Solomon's wisdom is more than having a high IQ or always being able to nail the cryptic crossword. The wisdom is about justice. God gave his wisdom to his king so that his king can bring justice to God's people. And friends, there's a long history of Christians advocating for justice in this world for the least and for the poor, from John Chrysostom in the early church to William Wilberforce and the arguments about slavery to International Justice Mission today, bringing justice to the least because God cares about that. And you know, it's interesting, our culture tends to assume that the best art is the darkest. You know, there'll, there'll be a movie review and it's, you know, it's a gritty expose of the mind of a serial killer. Great. <laughs> Another one. We kind of assume that the, the best art is the darkest, but actually what is wise is what is just. What is just is what is good. What is good is what is beautiful. What is beautiful is what is true. And friends, that is the world that we long for deep down. A world of justice and a world of good and a world of joy and a world of peace. And to finally see that wisdom and to see that justice is to praise it. And so we read, all Israel stood in awe of the king. That's the same kind of reaction that people had to Jesus. When they met Jesus and they heard Jesus. Like that time in John chapter 8 that we read where the religious leaders dragged before Jesus a woman who's been caught guilty of adultery, never mind the man, he's out of the picture, They've, they're overlooking that, and they come to Jesus as if, it's, it's like as if they sense that Jesus has a forgiving streak, and so they know they can catch him out, because he's not going to enforce the law of Moses, he'll break it. But don't you love how Jesus, don't you love how Jesus just always knows what to say? Like, if only I could have that gift, <laughs> just always knowing what to say, right? Um, whether it's some, someone's trying to get you in a trap or a friend who's grieving and you just don't know what to say, or maybe it's a difficult question about the Bible, or maybe you're in round four of negotiations with your eight-year-old, and you're just like, what do I say? (laughs) Jesus always knows what to say. And friends, by the way, if you want more of Jesus' wisdom, keep getting to know Jesus' character, and and you'll you'll keep working on it. Uh, John chapter 8, Jesus takes a moment, And he turns to the crowd and what does he say? He says, well, whoever of you is without sin, cast the first stone. And they all slowly slink away until it's just the woman and Jesus. And you might have noticed in the passage, Jesus never condones her sin, but neither does he condemn her for her sin. Or in Mark chapter 12, there's three rounds where... um, all of Jesus' kind of opponents and enemies and those who are suspicious of him, they come at him. And there's like these three rounds in Mark 12 until you get to the very end and we read this on the screen. After that, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. That's like Solomon, isn't it? You know, all Israel is just in awe of this Jesus. Now, although God had promised King David 1000 BC that he would never fail to have a son on the throne in Jerusalem. It had been 600 years since there'd been a son of David on the throne. 
until Jesus. And until Jesus' wisdom and Jesus' power leave the people in the first century in awe and amazement and hope. But maybe this Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. And they use one of the royal titles. You know, sometimes we read in the gospel biographies of Jesus, Son of David. This is, this is what they're saying. You're the one. You're the one that we've been waiting for. The son who's come, a descendant of David. Because they're longing for the joy of living in a kingdom with a good and wise king. They've read about it with Solomon. They know how good it is. And there's no king as wise and as good as Jesus. But we overlooked a really important verse in verse 16, didn't we? 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16. Who are these two women fighting over the baby? They're prostitutes. And honestly, in the ancient world, who cares about justice for a couple of prostitutes arguing over an illegitimate child in a brothel? And the answer is, God's king cares. God's king cares. Because God's king cares for the least. And God's king cares for the poor. And God's king cares for the powerless. And God's king cares for sinners. And when Jesus shows up, God's king cares for the least and the poor and the powerless and the sinners. And in fact, Jesus, God's forever king, cares enough to become a fool. Because how do you solve the ultimate conundrum? How do you solve the conundrum of of neither condoning sin nor condemning sinners? How do you solve it? How do you neither condone the sin and evil and injustice that goes on in our broken world without condemning every last single one of us sinners like you and me? And the gospel of Jesus says the only answer is by a king so wise and so good and so pure becoming a fool for us. Dying on a cross, humiliated, The most foolish thing in the ancient world. A saviour on a cross? How pathetic. But this king is so wise and so good that he became a fool for you and for me. And actually what looks so foolish in the eyes of the world turns out to be wiser than humanity's best wisdom. This was God's way of saving the world. Now friends, we've all got things that we long for and that we live for. But you need to know that nothing compares to living for this King Jesus. Jesus isn't what you love so that you get the real prize. Jesus is the prize. That's why the gospel of Jesus also, it's, it's the opposite of religion. Right? Religion is about kind of doing just enough good to get what you really want out of God. Right? How much... Do I have to go to church? How much do I have to give away? How serious do I have to get with Jesus to kind of get over the line and get what I really want? But the gospel of Jesus is the very opposite of that. It says that Jesus is what you, what you and I really want, if only we'll realise it and only trust him. 
He is the acceptance we're searching for in our relationships. He is the security that we're searching for in our wealth. He is the purpose that we're searching for in our work. And friends, Solomon was, he was the king whose one thing was wisdom and he ended up with everything. Jesus is the king who gave up everything so that you and I can be forgiven and part of God's kingdom forever. Now friends, if you're someone sitting here thinking, yes, Jesus is my one thing, I'm a Christian, I already trust him, he's the one, he's what it's about, can I urge you, especially those of you who are parents, to make sure that Jesus is the one thing that you pass on to your children. Because, you know, it's interesting, um, David's prayer for his son Solomon, that, that was kind of his prayer. He just was desperate for his son Solomon and his other children to, to know and trust the Lord God, except his own example, let them down. Make sure Jesus is your one thing that you are passing into all those who have influence, that you have influence in your life. And it might be that you're here today and Jesus isn't yet your one thing. You haven't yet thrown yourself on his mercy and made him the king of your life. Well, friends, to miss Jesus will be the dumbest thing you do for eternity. So please make sure Jesus is your one thing. Because when he's your one thing, you realise that actually Jesus is everything. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture of what it is to live under a king who is both wise and good and just. But Father, we thank you not particularly for Solomon, but for Jesus, who always knew what to say, who was gracious beyond measure, who stood up for the truth and spoke truth to power, and yet in the end would give up everything and die as a fool to save us forever. And so, Father, please help us, whoever whoever we are today and wherever we are with you, to trust, love, serve and obey King Jesus, with all of our lives until his return. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about St. Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au.